I love a sunny day. Who loves a sunny day? I love a sunny day. I love the freshness of a sunny morning as the sun starts to come up. I love sitting in my backyard. I love drinking a nice espresso in my backyard just with those first rays of sunshine while it's still sunshine on your face while it's still a bit chilly on you. And I love as the day gets going that a sunny day means either productivity or adventure, doesn't it? It means you can either get those, get those jobs done that um, maybe your wife has wanted you to do for a little time and you haven't got around to yet, for example. DIY jobs outside, painting things, making things, or it means getting out, doesn't it, into the great wide world around us. It means going on a great walk. It means getting your bikes out. We had a brilliant day in Delamere on the, on the bikes yesterday, and it was a beautiful, sunny, sunny day. The sun was shining. We were having so much fun as a family. And I think probably between you and me, my best days, the days that I remember the most in life have been sunny days, sunny days. Do you know, just days when we have been on the beach in Cornwall, catching crabs and mucking about with the kids. Days when I've been on a paddleboard on the lake. Days when I've seen the sunsets over the Welsh mountains. Do you know, capturing those moments on those sunny days have probably brought me more joy than anything else in life. And I love the evenings of a sunny day as well. Don't you, where it's still warm and you may be sat outside with friends and family like I built a I built a fairly shoddy but working pizza oven in the back garden we recently had a a night out well, it's a garden that's a bit bit rich isn't it to call mine a garden backyarden and um and you know we, we sat out the other week weren't we having a, it was just great the sun was shining sunny days are brilliant but sunny days can be dangerous as well they can my secondary school PE teacher taught me that he was, um, he was a bit of a small town local legend when we were working up, work, when I was growing up, my PE teacher was. Uh, he was the sort of guy that you'd find up propping up the bar in the local club wearing double denim. And he sported a lovely peroxide blonde haircut, fearlessly, this man. And he would be there. He'd be there if you went out on a weekend, obviously over age limits, just ignore that part of the story. But, but he'd be there doing what could only be described as sharking. And rumour had it that he had once been punched by uh, his boss, uh, the head of PE, for dating his 18-year-old daughter without his permission as well. Some, some rumours you don't believe, do you? Others you just think might be based in a little bit, <laughs> a little bit of truth. This was who he was. And I remember like, I, I went on one very fancy school holiday trip as a kid to Tossel del Mar. Lovely place. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, you've been there? Lovely, great, terrible t-shirts. And, um, and whilst, whilst there, he was one of the supervisors. And I remember one of his approaches to supervising children uh, one day involved him basically lay on the beach all day, sat back, uh, sitting in just the type of shorts that were last seen in this movie, Rocky II. Look, he looks so happy there, doesn't he? Good old Rocky, but he was just a pair of shorts like this. And it was a blazing hot day. And I remember one friend who was kinder than me went across to me and said, Sir, sir do, you not, do you not think you should pop a T-shirt on? Do you not think you made a bit of sun cream, sir? And I kid you not, his response was this, don't worry, I don't get sunburn, I tan. My PE teacher didn't tan. <laughs> 
Instead, he spent the rest of his holiday walking around like some giant puppeteer had him on strings, like wincing at every move. It completely wrecked his holiday. And of course, we were very sympathetic, 15 and 16 year olds. He was a quintessential Brit aboard. Your sunny days, whilst they last, are great. They are brilliant and should be enjoyed, but they're much better if you can do them with a bit of wisdom in your life and make sure you've got a sun hat and sun cream on. Where are we up to so far? Ecclesiastes we're in. What has Solomon, the author of this book, taught us so far? Well, firstly, as Solomon, it says, butter's not Solomon, you're very wise, but you're not Solomon. Covered, Butters covered excellently his first talk. He taught us this. This is the core of this book. That the true and honest outlook on life is that it's bleak and hopeless. Because everything in life is hevel. It's smoke. That's at the heart of this book. He's so keen for us to understand this reality that all life, all life, every legacy we leave in life is there for just a moment, it's solid for just a moment, then it evaporates and it dissipates like smoke. Nothing lasts. Not the work we do, not the friends we make, not the wealth we get. From dust it came and to dust it shall return. Memory, memories of us will fade within a generation. The next manager will take the team and business and take it in a different direction. All buildings and statues we erect will eventually tumble as the next empire comes up and rewrites history in its likeness. And first and foremost, and do not wash over it, in this book, Solomon wants us readers to know and pay attention to this, that all of mankind, that you and me, face a massive, insurmountable problem, that because of time passing, because of injustice, because nothing is guaranteed, and because most of all, that you all will die and death, everything we do and are will evaporate to nothingness. And we found out as we looked at this, that his first response upon realizing this is to be really wearied by life. Solomon has this realization, it just seems to sap him of his joy. And he writes things like, we see in verse 1, 8 to 9, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. What has been done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. He's got a defeatist in him. But as we see, the author dusts himself off. He shakes himself off. And what we see is he, he goes on this search, a quest. If you read the message version of this book, it calls Solomon the quester throughout the book, which I love. One on a quest to for how to make life meaningful in light of the truth that everything is smoke and nothing lasts. It's as if Solomon in this book has gone, right, life is short and I'm going to die. And nothing I do or am will last eternally. It will dissolve eventually. So what should I do with my life? What brings it the greatest meaning? Is there anything that I can do that will defeat the problem of smoke? I'm going on a quest to find out to explore every avenue of life that you can go down, everything a person can devote themselves to. Come with me and see what I learn. And in Chris CB's excellent talk, which if you hadn't listened to, I'd really commend to you this morning, 
We see what happens when he set out on this quest. How he devotes himself to learning and deepening his knowledge like a great scholar, an academic expert. How he then turns to pleasure, to sex, drugs and rock and roll. Denying himself nothing his heart desired. And how he then turns to his work and toll, toil, like so many, devoting himself to trying just to work hard to bring life meaning, trying to gain achievement. And we see how all these things came to the same ends, that nothing solved the problem of smoke. And all of these things, he says, just amount to a life of self-focused vanity in reality. Each is like trying to build a statue to yourself that just reflects all of your achievements that either you can look back and look fondly on or that others can look at you and say, hey, you've done great things with your life. But that because of death, time, lack of guarantee, these eventually crumble, these statues, these vain things. None of these are the answer to his quest, the solution to the great problem of smoke. So where we've got to in this book, all Solomon's quest has done so far is write off the things that our society probably most values and tells us we should devote ourselves to. Those things that our society believes meaning comes from. Accumulation of knowledge, working hard to achieve and pursuing pleasure. If you look at everything our modern Western world strives after, spends most of its time on, it will probably fit into one of those three categories. And Solomon says, none of these solve the massive problem that faces people, that faces you and me. None of them truly give purpose or meaning because of the great enemy of man. Time, death, injustice, lack of certainty, smoke. Solomon's quest so far appears to have failed. But you'll be glad to hear, if you've been here for the last two weeks and you hear the tone of that, that this starts to change a bit in my talk today. Because as you look a little bit closer at the paths he's been down, as you look at his quest so far, what you start to discover in this book is you see that it's not been entirely futile. That dotted throughout these books are these golden glimpses and discoveries of the best ways to live while we're on earth, that he wants to teach us, that he wants to pass on it. Throughout this book, it's a bit like Solomon is a tour guide. He's gone to a really rubbish town. <laughs> And most of the time he's looking around and going, no, this is a bit drab. But as he looks a bit closer, he finds that, you know, that, that great little cafe. And he says, hey, if you're going to come here, go, go here. Or whilst you're here, go here. He finds that fish and chip shop that only the locals know about. He says, look, come here. This, this makes this visit really worthwhile and meaningful. This makes your stay much better. And he points these out for us as he goes down these avenues of life. Highlights for us. And these gems broadly fit into two camps. Enjoy the sunshine of your life while it lasts, is one camp. But do it wisely. Do it with wisdom. Watch out for the sunburn that can come, is the other camp. Let me explain. Enjoy the day while it lasts. Enjoy. Do you know, I think enjoy is the word he says more than any other in this book, actually, as you look through it. Find enjoyment in your brief life. Find enjoyment in the day. It's like Philippians that we've just done our study on. Enjoy, rejoice, take joy. 
There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in all his toil. He has made everything beautiful in its time. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat, drink and take pleasure in all his toils. This is God's gift to man. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power, enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God, for he will not remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not be lacking in oil on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Do you know, see good, rejoice, enjoy, be full of joy, be merry. Do you see it? Take pleasure in whatever work you have, whatever relationship he has given you, in food, in the wine that you get to eat, in whatever beauty there is in your space and time, and whatever gifts he has chosen to give you. You know, in all of these passages, he's saying it, isn't it? Enjoy the sunny day whilst you're in it. Focus on the good in it. Let whatever morning ray of sunshine there is in your life be the point at which you fix your mind on. You only have from dust until dawn. That's a given. Limited time. You may not have a lot of things, but you do have a lot in life. A portion that God has given you. Rejoice in this. Don't miss the sunny day, the gift in this. Don't be like one who pulls a duvet over their heads. Don't hide away, begrudge it. Don't fall into moaning and misery about it. Don't fall into comparison with others that robs you of the joy of what he's given you. Don't fixate on the negative all the time. Don't have these mindsets. You know, this is not just a glib, quick, passing, cheer you up comment as well in this book. Life is smoke, so enjoy what you have while you have it. Just get over it and just enjoy yourself. It's not that. It's a serious point the author wants us to grasp. That it's a real key to living a good, worthwhile life. A good, worthwhile life is not about how much we can achieve in toil, how much knowledge we can acquire, how many of life's new pleasures we can consume. It's about learning habits of joy and contentment in what we have been given. And if we get into habits of non-enjoyment, of groaning and of moaning, we are missing an essential ingredient to life. That no amount of wealth or achievement or additional knowledge will ever sort out or fill up. Ecclesiastes 
616 makes this point starkly. It drills home the importance that this is not just a glib comment. He says this, listen up to this. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it's not seen the sun or known anything, yet if it finds rest rather than he, even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet not enjoy no good, do you not all go to one place? Do you see the tone of that? There's some harsh language there. Joy and thanksgiving, more than anything, is a choice. It is a perspective and a learned habit in life. I've spoken on this subject previously, actually, um, in my Gospel Giving Living talk on Thanksgiving. So if this is something you struggle with and you want to know more about, go back to that one. But I've, in simply, I've met people with little more than the clothes on their back, poor health, little education, some of whom would, we would define as having special needs and learning deficits. But they have a depth of joy in their life. That is enviable and makes their life alive and rich. They overflow with it. There was one family I met when I was in Brazil, which was just like this. Husband, husband left them. They had nothing. I went to their house. They had nothing. Nothing. Husband had left his wife and two children because the son had Natan. He had, um, he had uh, severe autism. Yet the joy in that family, it was overwhelming. On the other side, though, I've met others who have amazing educations, good friendships, marriages with great people, kids, some of whom are even saved by Jesus, dare I say, wealth, security, but who never take time to enjoy the sunshine. They've gone into bad patterns. They formed life habits of bemoaning everything, fixing on what is wrong with their partners, their jobs, their friends, their families, what they don't have. Do you know there's no spiritual gift of fault-finding in the Bible? It's not a gift to be able to criticise. It's easy. Do you know what? These people are in danger of missing the adventure while the sun shines and the riches that the Lord has poured out on them, even in the hardest hours. And Solomon here in no uncertain terms says, listen, you waste your life, your precious life, if you live like this. Come on, start to learn joy. That which he has given you again. Do you know, I've got a friend who's been ill recently, uh, waiting on some news. He's been an inspiration to me. Because they've not known what the outcome will be. And it could have been very severe. Yet if you spoke to these people about it, who were dealing with this and on this, in this term of waiting around you ask them, how are you doing with that? They said, do you know what? The reality is, I've gone to God and I'm just grateful 
I'm grateful for all the days I've had so far. I'm grateful because I deserved none of them. And that was their mindset through trial. How easy would it have been to fixate on the misery? I hope when my life faces trials like theirs has faced, that I stand up to them in the same way. Because this is one of the things he's teaching us. It's the first thing Solomon wants us to land in about what having a truly good life, even with the problem of smoke, looks like. Take joy in what you have for the short time you have it. Can you take in the importance of this this morning, church? And enjoy the sun. That's the first thing. The second thing, if you would. Be wise. The second thing falls into this category. Be wise. As you live through the day of your life, the rise and fall of it, don't be like my PE teacher. Don't do it. Don't make foolish decisions that get you punched by your boss and have a load of teenage lads laughing at you because you're bright red like a lobster. Don't get sunburned as you walk through life. Do you know, again, we see this theme of wisdom run right the way through this book. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than folly, as there is more gain in light than darkness. Ecclesiastes 4.13 Better was a poor wise youth than an old and foolish king who had no longer known how to take advice. Next one. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Next one. Who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. Ecclesiastes 10.10. Wisdom helps one to succeed. Next one, Ecclesiastes 10.12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favour, but the lips of a fool consume him. The author is desperate through this book that the readers grasp the importance and the preciousness of learning to live with and make choices according to wisdom. He even tells this story which has come up here to drive this home. Something that he saw during his life that taught him the value of wisdom. I've seen this example of wisdom under the sun and it seems great to me. There was a little city with few men in it and a great king came against it and besieged it, building a great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. He saved everybody by wisdom. Yet no one remembered this poor man. There was no vain memory of this poor man. But I say, wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war and one sinner destroys much good. Wisdom in the Bible I'd summarise as this, is having the knowledge, the character, the ability to make right choices at the opportune time in life. To pick that right course of action in any given situation, a godly line in the greys that life creates, the situations, the tensions that there are. And like joy, it is something the Bible says has to be learned Nobody's born with wisdom, 
There are books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, which is its underlying point. They're devoted to us understanding the preciousness of wisdom and getting it into our lives. And if you just gather these sayings together that we've looked at so far, we see why. Because what our quester, our teacher Solomon, is teaching us is that when you have wisdom, it means life is likely to go better for us. Not guaranteed, but it helps. It will help you succeed in ventures. Not guaranteed, but it helps. It means that you will never stop listening to great advice, which has been the folly of many a person. It means you will grow strong and resilient in life, that you will help overcome great challenges, and it will change your very person. I love that. Change the hardness of a person's face, wisdom do. It will prevent us getting the equivalent of the world's horrible sunburn. And as such, it's something that we should pursue. We should long for. It should be something that we are hungry for. It should attract us more than gold, more than silver, more than power, more than wealth, more than knowledge for its own sake. It is the most precious of God's gifts, or one of them, for us to mine out in our life. And Solomon, thankfully, doesn't just say in this book, just get wisdom. You need wisdom in your life. Throughout this book, he gives some great wisdom for us to grasp hold of that he's learned on his quest, that he's seen on his way, on his journey, like a father he wants to pass on to a son in love. And there's far more than I could do this morning. You'd be here all day, and each of these deserves more time than I have. But I just want to touch on a few things he says there. Ecclesiastes 3... Verse 1 to 8 tells us wisdom, wisdom is about knowing the season that we are in. For everything has a season. There's a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together, etc., etc. It's saying that in life, wisdom is partly about recognising that one size doesn't fit every situation. You can't just use one tool for the job. You've got to learn what the job is. I can't use a hammer if I want to put a teapot back together. It doesn't work. I have to first take time to understand what the job is. And I tell you, this is a, this is a massive issue that people don't know this. You know, outside of my work in the church, I've, I've spent a long time working with offenders. And one of the major problems is that they've learned a whole skill set for dealing with a really hard set of situations. Do you know, and they would cope in custody on the estates far better than I would. Do you know, I'd be blubber by the end of the day. But they know how to stand up, how to save face, how not to get shot down and walked over. Somebody disrespects them. They make sure that doesn't go any further. It's one of the ways they've learned to survive in these situations. Yet you take that into the work environment and the moment the boss tells them off, they're like, hey, you're disrespecting me. And it doesn't work. It's a different season. It's a different tool they need. So part of the job is helping people understand the different tools. If we want to be wise, Solomon says, we've got to understand the season. We've got to understand what's going on around us and we've got to respond to it well. That's one of the things he finds on his walk. Do you know, uh, character, I won't dwell too long on this. I think we talk a lot about character in church lives, but wisdom is about building certain character traits into our lives. 
certain ways that we respond, drilling ourselves in these ways, learning them. Be patient in spirit because it's better than being proud in spirit. Still learning that one. Be not quick in spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. I'm still learning that one. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For this is not wisdom that you ask this. Don't live your life looking backwards with regrets. Still learning that one. Learned character of patience, temperance. There's not consistently, constantly comparing today with yesterday. But responding to what is now is part of wisdom, he tells us. It's part of growing and learning to make the right choices in the now for your life going forward. For not getting that sunburn. Chapter 11. It's a bit more obscure, this one, but I think it makes a really great point. This teaches us that wisdom is about knowing the limits of what we know. He says you've got to know the limits of what you know. You're all finite, unfortunately. You can't know everything. So he says things like this. Cast your bread upon the waters. For if you find it after them, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. He who observes that the wind, uh, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. In the morning sow your seed, in the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Know the limits of your knowledge. You don't know the future. Don't overanalyze everything this says because actually one of the things he points out is that if you overanalyze everything you never do any good really is there going to be a return on that investment i don't know trying to predetermine everything trying to guess the outcome when you don't know it you know wisdom is not about overanalyzing this can stop you sometimes doing what God wants you to do. There is a point in everything in which faith kicks in. And he says, look, wisdom is about this. It's one of the lessons that he spots in life, which I think is so pertinent for us as a church. How many times, I talked about this just quickly, there is, there's, a, there's a call to go and do the gospel. How many times does overanalyzing the situation stop you going and doing the gospel? Second guessing what the response will be. Second guessing what the outcome will be. Do you know, or there might not be, your gift might not be well received, or it might not go anywhere, that debt advice thing, so we shouldn't do it in the first place. We don't know the future. We're to live by faith. And he says this is, this is part of wisdom that he's seen on earth. Does that make sense? Yeah. Great. All of these things, Solomon, Solomon says, lead, learning to understand what's going on around us, recognising the seasons, building good character in response to situations, knowing the limit of our knowledge, a part of ability, developing that rich ability to make good choices in life that help protect, build, overcome all of those challenges, help us avoid the sunburn. I want to ask you a question. If you were to list now what the most precious things to you in life were, what would that list look like? If you were to put them on a piece of paper... The things that you want most, you desire most, would wisdom make the grade? Would it be on there? Before I've spoken this morning. Now it should be on there, you know that. That's, that's the point of this question. The Bible wants it on that list. It wants it on that list. It wants you to grasp that wisdom, the stuff contained in this book, should shape your very decisions in life and that it is genuinely more precious than anything the world has to offer. Get wisdom.
get wisdom. This is the second key conclusion that Solomon's quest brings him on. Now, whilst we're here, we must enjoy the sun, but with wisdom in our hearts and minds, not foolishness. So he tells us this as he goes through life. These are like those little special coffee shops that he wants us to stop in and really drink in the atmosphere as he goes around this quest. Make sure you have habits of joy and that that's in the centre of your life. And that wisdom is cherished more than gold and wealth and hidden in the depths of our hearts and understood in our minds. But although these are good and right, and a definite, I would hope you'd agree, improvement on the preachers so far, not in terms of quality of the preachers, but in terms of... There is. <laughs> Shut up, Matt. <laughs> They've been excellent preachers. I've heard such good feedback. <laughs> neither, neither, neither of these things solves the problem. He says this. He's clear on this. They are good. They are right. They are helpful, but they do not solve the problem of smoke. They don't solve the major issue. Death, uncertainty, time or injustice. Can you just click on? He says this in a couple of places. I'll just read one of these to you. The wise person has his eyes, has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. And I said to my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. Wisdom is great. It is good. It has all of those benefits. Joy is great. It is good. It has all of those benefits. But it doesn't solve the problem. Do you know, Freedom Church, just to finish here. Some people believe Christianity and the Bible are just about good moral living. And how to live a good life, not as a foolish one. Ecclesiastes, the message of this book. And Solomon's quest says, this is, yes, part of the picture. The Bible and Christianity definitely wants to teach us to enjoy the day from dawn till dusk. To make the most of the adventure of the day and do that wisely without getting punched or sunburnt. But it also teaches us that if it's just this, if the Bible and Christianity are just this, then it makes no difference at all because it has no answers to the great enemy of meaning in life the fact that because of death injustice time and any future guarantee everything is smoke but the bible is not just this it is not just a self-help manual for life it's not just another annabelle carmel book and Solomon's quest in Ecclesiastes does have an answer. This is the great news for the great enemy of death. It has a solution to the smoke that goes well beyond good advice. Way beyond good advice. But for that, you need to come back for part four next week. <laughs> <laughs>